kind of my I've touched every part of this industry at some point. So I have a really wide background. So but I'm gonna tell you, and I tell young people this. The airlines are so attractive right now, but to spend 45 years in an airline, I think you're gonna miss what aviation has to offer. There's so much fun, so many great relationships in both the cargo and the business aviation side. And I encourage young people, go explore that before you go hang your hat at an airline and just be a number. Hello and welcome to the Business Aviation Collective podcast sponsored by LD Aviation. Today we get a chance to talk to Dave Keyes. He is the chief pilot for Peace River Citrus Products. He's also the vice chair of the Domestic Operations Committee. And I've gotten a chance to work with him on the subcommittee, which was the Small Operators Committee. And we're going to talk all about uh, small operators. But first, Dave, I would love to get an idea. Where is your background? Like, how did you come up and get into aviation? And welcome as well. Thanks, Lindsay. And we, 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 like I told you before, we miss you working on our committees. You're, you're a great asset. So thank you. Come back. We, we look yeah. forward. We always welcome you back. Yeah. I started, I grew up, always wanted to be a pilot. There's no pilots in my family. So I don't know where that drive came from, but I always wanted, I loved airplanes. So I had the opportunity to go to Emory Riddle in Daytona on a scholarship back in the, the mid seventies and mm-hmm. came down and started my flying career thinking I would go into the military, but it was post-Vietnam and the military was not taking any pilots. So while they paid for my education, I never had the opportunity to serve in the military. So from Emory Riddle, I went to work for uh, Westinghouse Electric had a freight operation here in Florida, going to Puerto Rico because of a pending dock worker strike. So we flew, have your people look up what a Canadair CL-44 is. People know what that airplane is, but that's where I cut my teeth. Worked there for a couple of years, moved to Miami. They closed down the vision, didn't need it when moved to Miami, continued to fly freight all around the world and Electras, 727s, and just had a great time doing, doing freight and cargo flying. Went to work for Eastern Airlines, if you remember them back in they the yeah. 80s. Went on strike, walked the picket line for a year with Eastern, and eventually they closed the airline down. So that part of my airline experience. That's when I got into the business aviation world, flying a Sabreliner for a local company and worked for them for 15 years. They sold the company, sold the airplane, but they were a great company to work for. I fell in love with this part of the industry. Went to work for Fractional uh, Citation Air, uh, which became Citation Share. So I got a Fractional in the 135 world, kind of had my exposure into that. They closed down, went to Flight Safety, did some work there and ended up getting a job with this company out of flight safety. They were looking for somebody to take them to Europe for the Olympics in a, in a citation XLS plus and, and their pilots had never been outside of the U S and I'd been all around the world. I said, we can do this. It's easy. And so started working there, took them to the Olympics, had a great time, brought them back and uh, worked here for quite a while. I left here to go to Southwest because I had some friends at Southwest and that's a long story about why and, and how, and sometime I'll tell you that story, but about six months into that, the uh, owner of this company, who was really a great person, wanted to make a change in his flight department because it wasn't going well. That's part of the story called and said, I want you to come back. I said, Hey, I'm with 
Southwest. I don't need to come back. And long story short, he said, tell me what it'll take for you to come back. And so I did. And he met all of my requirements, which I went, darn. We had a little there. But I love this. So I came back. I've been here ever since. We've uh, since have gotten rid of the XLS Plus, replaced it with a Latitude. Placed a Latitude. We now have a, kind of my... I've touched every part of this industry. Yeah. So I have a really wide background. So, but I'm going to tell you, and I tell young people this, the airlines are so attractive right now, but to spend 45 years in an airline, I think you're going to miss what aviation has to offer. There's so much fun, so many great relationships in both the cargo and the business aviation side. And I encourage young people, go explore that before you go hang your hat at an airline and just be a number. So that's my pre You know, yeah, no, I think you're right. And, and just being a number for so many years over and over. And you're right. I, what else? You go to the same places basically every single time and the same layovers. And business aviation just allows you to go so many different places. Yeah, I, it is. it is really too bad to see so many people leaving. I think it must just be a cost. Or financial decision. And well, that's very much. It's so attractive now. What I just see to United AIP is a 40% pay raise. I mean, yeah, just throwing mad money. Having worked for an airline that went bankrupt, though, well, I can tell you, you think you have the full-time job, but this industry changes very quickly. It sure does. I mean, how long ago were we just watching everybody being laid up? It's not been a, but a couple of years. So. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. So, so I, I love business aviation and I love all parts. I love the challenges and I love, I, I tell people this, that I think when I was with the airlines, I, I knew people, but I was not friends with them. My friends I've made through business aviation, my close friends that, that will last forever. And I love that. I love being friends with people at aviation and we're, we're geeks and we, we talk about it, but yeah. No, I totally agree. And that must, um, I mean, obviously your passion for business aviation comes out and it shows up in your additional work because not only are you the chief pilot, but you do a lot of work giving back to the community. And so right now, I'm your position in vice chair with the Domestic Operations Committee. I'm not sure if those of you listening have even heard of that, but it's part of the MBAA. And you guys have been around for quite a while. There's a couple of subchapters of that as well. One was the I have an experience with is that small operators committee, but maybe you can tell us what you're doing with the DOC right now. Right. And then we'll work on just small. Well, the DOC, we kind of are an all-encompassing committee and basically look at anything happening within the airspace or the operators. We haven't, the NBA has an international operators committee that kind of looks at all the international stuff, but DOC integrates a lot of that into our resources because it, it, you know, a lot of our operators fly international. Under DOC, we have the, the small flight department subcommittee. We have the 135 subcommittee that deals with the 135 operators. And we have the 125, which are the, the, like the sports team folks that fly uh, sports teams under the 125 certificate. So they operate large airplanes, but they're not 121 mm-hmm. and, and they have certain regulations and rules about how they charge and, and how they operate. So like the BBJs of the world. Exactly. And and uh and so they have to get a 125 certificate. So we have a, a subcommittee that deals with with that. And then we have just recently taken on an air traffic control technology group that now falls under yeah. our committee. 
So it's, we're, we just, that just happened first part of this year. So we're trying to figure out how all that operates because those are some really smart people that understand air traffic control and the technology that's going on and approaches and, and all that. So we sit back and listen to them talk and just go, wow, they're really smart, but they now fall under DOC and we love integrating. We figure out how to integrate them into the rest of the group. So we do that. In addition to, uh, I don't know if you know this, I'm also the president of the Central Florida Business Aviation Association. We started that about three, three years ago and we're up to over 400 members. And yeah, Central Florida is a real hotbed of business aviation and it's just taken off. And, and I love the, the, the work we do. We have a huge aviation day every spring for students to be exposed to business aviation at the Daytona airport. And this will be our third year coming up next year. And it's, it's grown. We have this year we had almost 400 students came and got exposed to what business aviation has to offer. That's awesome. I need a scheduler section of that, you know, count LDA in because we could, that would be really cool. We're also always trying to get more people into the scheduling. Like it may not be as glamorous perhaps as the pilot side of it, but I consider it a career and yeah, if you ever need any help on that side, let us know. It was interesting this year, we had fewer pilots, but a lot more maintenance, engineering, management people, students that came to, to see what the offerings were. So we were really excited about, about that. So, uh, yeah, we definitely, uh, mine, I'll pass your name on to Matt and, and have him reach out to you. So, yeah. Yeah. That'd be cool. So when is the next event? Uh, our next vacation day is March 1st. Okay. March 1st. Very cool. Is there a certain airport you guys usually use to do that or is it off? Yeah, we did it shelf there at the Daytona Beach airport and uh, because they have a riddles right across the street and then we have FIT that comes up from Melbourne and a lot of flight schools send students to, like I said, we, we first year we had maybe a hundred, 125 students came this year. We had almost 100 and something. We're just expecting bigger things. Every riddles really on board and supporting it. So yeah. Yeah. Great. That's huge growth. Is is really wonderful, so we're excited about. That's awesome. So that's kind of my background, and that's that's kind of what we do. And we could yeah. we'll bear down or, or narrow down some of those things that we we do. You were part of the small flight department committee, which is my passion. Yep. Uh, being a small yep. operator, um, that uh, six years ago we started the small flight department subcommittee. It was not one. When people thought of MBAA back in the day, they only thought of large flight departments because they were the ones yep. that formed it and poured the money in. But we came to find out that over 80% of our operators of MBA are small flight departments, two airplanes or less. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they were not represented because we're all busy running flight departments. We don't have huge apps. We don't have people that are doing the work for us. We're doing it. So we didn't have the time to dedicate it. So over the six years, we've grown the committee. It's we put out tons of resources and we'll talk about some of those over the years. We, we've addressed many issues that have come up. We hold uh, annual meetings, uh, which are now by it. Joe and Dylan just had a virtual safety symposium where we had four speakers that talked about everything from contracts to insurance, to contract pilots, to leases and uh, things that small Flight department managers need to know. Yep. Um, 
So we'll, and we're already planning for a base this year in Vegas. On Monday, we'll have a small operator symposium and we're working on the topics for that, which I'm excited because I think Joe and Dylan had some really great ideas of in, in our end of the industry right now, runway excursion seems to be our safety issue. We've been okay. riding a lot of airplanes off the runways, having accidents. So we're going to address that with some real hands-on technical discussions on landing performance and stabilized approach criteria. It's really out-of-the-box thinking ideas. Nice. And then we hope to have uh, somebody speak on leadership. We, we One of the challenges for a small flight department, you've only got two of you or three of you. How do you manage it? How do you get along? How do you resolve mm -hmm. Yeah. Sure that uh, because you know if the co-pilot's mad at you because you're you're you're, you're being a butthead, they're not they may not say anything, they're just gonna go find another job, and so you've lost a valuable asset because you ignored an issue or you've not addressed an issue or you've not. So we're gonna bring some somebody in that's gonna help managers kind of navigate or open our eyes to oh yes I probably it's because I think managing. Two people is a way different thought process than, say, managing a 15-person flight department, right? Yep, I so agree. We're going to explore what that looks like and hopefully come up with some tools for folks. And I think also, like you, we were talking about a little bit before, you know, when you have, um, and this will be kind of later down in the podcast as well, but you've got this turnover that we're seeing, so much turnover. So uh, I believe you said, you know, you were hired in as the SIC and now uh, four or six months down the road, now you're the chief pilot. So you're you're put in those roles perhaps because uh, either there's nobody else or the next, you're the next in line and perhaps you don't have any leadership or management experience. Yeah, I think that's common. Right, right. So one of the tools that we, and I, I encourage people to go, We've been creating, uh, uh, and you may remember when we started this, the learning management yeah. system where we, uh, Souls, small operator learning series on the MBA website. And uh, yeah. you can go there and we've created a lot of tools on hands-on things you need to know about just managing your department. And then also we have speakers, you know, Dr. Royale that does some stuff about uh, compensation, Jenny Showalter has done things. So. We're trying to create a learning management system where a new manager can go on and find topics that they may be interested in, watch a 30-minute, 40-minute video presentation with experts and gain some knowledge about how mm -hmm. to better run their flight department. And it's great hands-on practical knowledge that, that they're going to find useful. So we've been working real hard in creating those. We do two or three modules a year, mm -hmm. continue to add to it. So Brad can add that link into your, your description and folks can go find those uh, modules. It's really helpful. Definitely. I remember, and I think it's been probably three years since I've been part of that operating, the small operators committee, but you guys were working not only on those modules, which I did get a chance to see almost finished product of one of them. I'll have to go back and, and read them or watch them more. But do you guys, the committee that you're doing, is this your fourth year coming up here in November, in October? Or not the committee. I'm sorry, the symposium. Yes, this will be our fourth or fifth. I don't, I've lost track, but yes, I think it's our fifth because I think we did it. We started it. We did it the first this next year after that. So we've been in we've been in a committee six years. So the symposium in Vegas happens on the Monday afternoon. 
we've done all kinds of topics and you've seen some of them. Uh, our first one was kind of funny. It was, our, our theme was wearing all the different hats, you know, manager, you're, you're just, okay, I've got my, uh, scheduling hat on or my, my flight planning hat on or my maintenance hat on or my insurance hat on, which hat am I wearing and how do I prioritize those things? So that was our, our goal. And that continues to be our goal. And I think the, the plan is this year's is to survey small operators again to find out what issues they're facing. We did it initially about five years ago. So mm -hmm. We want to see if anything has changed. We kind of feel that it's going to commit the same, but we want to see if, if there's anything operators are dealing with that we're not, are not on our radar, but to look for a survey probably at the first of the year. Yeah, I think like you, this is a passion of mine, the small operator as well, because that is really what LDA works with. And I think that was my original kind of goal with LDA is that I came from large flight departments and I was able to see all of the resources that these large flight departments have access to, you know, full-time schedulers, full-time dispatchers, yeah, a safety person, an HR person, all of those different roles. And the small flight department puts all those people into one. And I like that you guys try and highlight that, but also highlight the fact that you have to prioritize the safety part of it. You're still the pilot and you're still trying to do the safety stuff first. Right. And that's been an issue. I've worked really hard over the last four years with IBAC and different vendors that we've held two, three conference calls this year on small flight department safety. One, two of the calls had to do with the frats. And how, how does a small flight department, how, what's the effectiveness of a track for a small flight department? Because when I talked to small operators, they said, it, we're just checking boxes. It doesn't tell me anything I don't already know. So is this really a useful mm -hmm. tool or is it a waste of my time? And most of them came back and said, it's a waste of our time. We don't even do it anymore. So what is the solution to that? So we've been <laughs> working with different operators. Polaris is one that's coming out using AI a little bit more in, in, Yep. Uh, in, in helping identify safety issues. And then the other thing is a full-fledged safety program. Now, some small operators, they, they, are, they, they put the, the effort in and they get it. But my challenge to them is you've got great manuals and you put them on a shelf and then you run your golf stream off the end of the runway at Bedford because you're not following any of it. So mm -hmm. how do we integrate safety into a small department where it's the, the life and blood and not just a manual? So that's been the conversation and, and, and it's a challenge because there's no simple solution. I think Dr. Curran comes up with some really innovative thought processes to, to how safety should be looked at, but it really is an industry issue because it's small operators are the ones, it's our safety record that is the worst. We're the ones running airplanes off the runway. We're the ones having instances crashing airplanes. So the message just hasn't resonated yet. But we're working hard. I, I'm real excited. But I think our next call is going to be the how does how will AI help mold safety going forward? Nine. And, and it's going to be interesting to see as that rolls out what role AI can take in helping departments identify risks and get thought processes to get yeah. safety. You know. I had a conversation with your group years ago, and they brought up one of the points that when pilots are going through training, just I'm talking like very private pilot training, why is a safety management system or safety 
I mean, they're learning to make sure that they don't crash an airplane and everything. But one of the people on the committee was talking about why don't we add in more safety processes to the beginning of everybody's training. As soon as you start getting your private pilot license, why why can't we add some of these things that the small flight department or large flight department should be doing in the in the future and, and start training them in the beginning, like right from the start. And and a part of that that I've identified is we need to redefine what that looks like. So and I'll give you the example. When you're learning to be, when you're the student pilot and the instructor is teaching you how to use the checklist and do a pre-flight and, and check the weather. And the, the terminology should be, this is part of our safety management process. All of that feeds into being a safe pilot. Well, we call it the pre-flight. We call it the checklist. We don't, we're not, we're not changing that thought process to say, no, 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 that's all part of the safety management process mm-hmm. that, that, that when I'm pre-flighting, I'm contributing, I'm looking at it through the lens of safety. Is the weather going to be good? Is the airplane well? Is the airplane that it's not just more that's the pre-flight. No, that's part of the safety management system. So I think. Ideally, we can get primary flight schools to kind of change their language and they'll yep. help the upcoming generation to just see, no, it's, it's integrated into everything we do. That's mm-hmm. what Dr. Kern has been trying to get us see. Safety is not set on the shelf or it's something you practice when something happens. It's mm-hmm. part of your culture. It's inbred into who you are and what you do. I've said like the frat was a perfect example. I said, so you're checking boxes to verify that you've done what you've always been trained to do. Pre-flight the airplane, mm-hmm. check for weather, check for any uh, conditions, right? That's what we've learned from day one. Mm-hmm. So why am I checking a box? Why not understand though it's all part of the safety system and then let's provide tools through other mechanisms, AI or, or other providers like L&D or whatever, that helps implement your safety process. I love it. And so yeah. the, and the biggest challenge for a small department, let's say there's two pilots. Well, who's your, who's your check and balance, right? What is our motivation as a crew? We want to do the trip. Yeah. That's our motivation. How do, okay, there's a thunderstorm there. How do we, how do we mitigate that in our minds to go? We're going to go. There's no chief pilot. There's no somebody else that says, wait a minute, time out. These conditions, let's, let's postpone the trip for half a day until all this weather moves out, right? You don't have that layer of management oversight to to help speak into the safety process. So what does that look like for a small department? Well, you can use the next guy in the hair, but if they're not around, I don't know who you talk to. So it seems to me that there's there's a platform through operations like you guys or Flush or somebody that could be that oversight that, that says, have you folks actually thought about this. You know, you've got this broken, the radar is broke on the airplane and there's thunderstorms forecast and this, have you really thought through the process of whether you should go or not? Oh, yeah. okay. It's going to be a wet runway. It's a 4,000 foot runway and uh, the winds are not out of the, the instrument approach. We're going. <laughs> right. Yeah. So this, this additional piece could be like a, you know, an extra set of eyes just to put in one more uh, opinion. Because sometimes that's what it takes, right? It, mm-hmm. so it takes a voice out here to say, you know, uh, hey, you need to think about this. Oh, wait a minute. Because our default is we want to make it go. Mm-hmm. So, 
that's that's one of the challenges of but you have thousands of different small flight departments and it's getting us all to thinking in the same line. Well, that line of thought reminds me of another well, two things. One about benchmarking, which I'd like to ask because you guys were talking about benchmarking at or one of the meetings that we were at. But the other thing is, can you tell everybody about the frat? Because um, most of our listeners are the schedulers, dispatchers. Oftentimes, we don't have much to do with the frat. Could you tell what what does the frat do? What does it look like for those right. that might not know what that is? Right. The original frat was a kind of a checklist that that listed items uh, to the flight, weather, what's the weather, what passenger, duty time, aircraft maintenance. It would have maybe 20 items listed on it, and you would go through a checklist or assign a score, check, check, you know, we have a, a, our principles in a wheelchair, so we add, a, you would add something for that. So basically, what it, then it would give you a score at the end. So you would check boxes if there was like uh, bad weather, below minimums, or mountainous terrain. And you check and it would give you a score at the end, say uh, 20 points. And if you fell within a range, let's say you fell within 20 to 30, that was in the caution area. So then you would, the idea is that you would, how we mitigate in this caution area. If it was over 30, maybe it's in the, in the red area. Well, is that a, is that a hard stop? Do we, do we, do we now just not do the flight? So it, it was a tool used to kind of help the flight crew make a decision on, okay, are there things we need to mitigate here? Are the, are the risks adding up for this flight that we really should consider an alternative or how are we mitigating these risks? Whether do we need to wait an hour and let the weather move through? Do we need to, something's wrong with the airplane or do we need to get it fixed before we go because of this situation? The, the anise skids out and it's a wet runway. Okay. But, and that's, you're not going to go on a wet runway without an anise skid out, but that's an example. Yeah. Well, what happened, human nature said, I'm going, we want to, our motivation is to make the trip. So it was left up to me to make those de- arbitrary decisions on that list. So at the end, it was an arbitrary number that, that I would make to help me make, it really wasn't used in most operators talked to. It wasn't being used as a safety tool that it was designed to be. Now it was with, that's what we had. So theoretically, that's what it's supposed to have. But it was arbitrary. It was, it was. But the guy in the post flight crews felt it was, uh, we already doing this in a pre-flight. We're going to make the, like, why do I need a frat to tell me the night before uh, the, if there's a snowstorm moving through Teterboro? I'm not making that decision an hour before the flight. <laughs> so I didn't need a frat to do it. I made the decision yeah. the night before to call the boss and say, snowstorm moving through the Northeast, we're not going. Mm-hmm. Let's reschedule. So there, so. Hey, most departments that I've spoke to and were on the call and, and the providers all kind of agreed, yeah, this is just an archaic system that we need to replace. So that's the challenge in the industry. There's, there's a couple op, couple providers that are coming up with more, like I said, using AI, using more in- integrated, where it's not just checking boxes, it's you put your flight information in and it runs in the background to see if there's hazards based on things you have put in your flight manual, FARs, weather, regulations, airport modems. It's running in the background and present like a yellow, like, hey, here's what we say, you know. Yeah. Something we need to look at. 
And many years ago, when I was working for Cox Enterprise, we did all the flight planning as well. And so, so for me, part of the, the FRAT was at that point, part of it. So we would do a lot of that calculating of that number. And then we would get the number and say, okay, well, this is a yellow number. Now it needs to go somewhere else. But I think you're right. It wasn't, we got, it just got, I don't know if we got complacent, it got boring. It was just not helpful. So now we have some schedulers will have access to this, but not all. But we have been using the Polaris Vocus system, which I love. Um, I'm, I'm not sure if there are other programs out there that do that. But so for the scheduling side, that is cool because us as schedulers, we can run that as far in advance as we want and perhaps pitch some items prior. Again, this is usually a larger flight department who has access to right. to doing these. But Polaris, I just had a, a conference call with them yesterday, and they are they are they're 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 doing a great job at making it available to small operators. And I'm talking to more and more and more small operators that are going to it because it is a tool that's given them information that they didn't have before. And like I said, I think as AI rolls into our industry and rolls out, you're going to see more. You, you, your folks are going to see it. I think from the dispatch side. Yeah. That, that, that what can take place in the, uh, through AI uh, is going to just expand what, what you're going to be able to provide to your client. Agreed. Yeah. yeah. And uh, yeah, the AI piece of it, I'm super excited to see how that right. comes in here. I don't think it's, you know, I'm not worried that it's going to replace pilots or get schedulers, dispatchers, you know, completely. It's just going to make our job easier. Right. And, it, and it's going to provide options that you might not even think about, right? Like you're gonna you're gonna ask the system, okay, this is here's the set of circumstances we're trying to go into some foreign country, and the, the AI will have a heck of a lot more information available to it than you're ever going to, and it may come out and say, well, have you thought of this op, you know, this airport or this operation here, doing it this this routing this way, much more efficient? You go, no, we've always done it this way, and so I think the the the, the excitement of having that roll out into dispatch and safety is going to be really cool. I agree. Yep. And when I think it brings them to um, a, a part where when the AI comes out with something that's maybe yellow or red, you're actually going to look at it because right. you're like, oh, this is, I, I don't need to just sweep this under the rug. It's an actual problem that we need to work with, which then allows you to document it, which helps with your safety management system. Right. Exactly. And then that it, it's just, I think. My, my hope is that it's going to move small operators into a, a safety systems. Because I think if you've polled most small operators today, they don't have a, a safety system. We're not required, right? So, right. The, you know, they're not, it's like, yeah, that would be nice, but I'm just trying to make sure the boss's rental cars are, are there. Right? right. In which case they should hire L&D and let you guys take care of that. There you go. That's right. Yeah, we'll take care of that. You guys take care of the safety part. Exactly. Uh, I think, do you, or, or should I ask you, do you think it also has to do a little bit with the the individual that's in that position as well? Some people are way more safety focused and some people are not. Yeah, but this, our, you think about it, my generation did not grow up with that. I mean, safety was right. always, but it was, it was, we were taught, like I said, language. If we could change the language of the primary, where you have younger, I think it is spoken more in Emory Riddle right down the street from where I live. They do have an SMS system. And so their, their students are, 
are introduced to it. They understand it. They have a safety. I work with their student safety committee. I speak to them and then I go to their meetings once a month when they're in a session. So they're plugging into what we're doing. We're having these conversations and that, and what they like is they can go to the administration and say, Hey, we ought to think about changing our safety system. So they're having those intro. So their culture, you're bringing, you're graduating students out of that. They're going to have that culture. So as, as my generation retires and move out of the seat, I think you're bringing younger people in that their default's going to be to a safety management system of some sort, which is much better. Yeah, that's great to hear that they're doing that. And, and my goodness, you work like two full-time jobs then it sounds like because of all the volunteer work that you do with Embry-Riddle and MBAA and a full-time job. It, it's a lot, it's a, but I wish everybody would give back. I mean, that's right. this industry. It's, it's uh, whether you're going to a school and talking about aviation or going to plug it into the, every region. I, I'm sure you guys have a, a regional MBA group out there and plug in and uh, yep. uh, go assist and help and spread the word. And because I, I get a charge out of working with young people that are coming into this industry. And I think that's a lot of fun. It is, right? It's so cool to see, I mean, the passion in other people. Obviously, you and I enjoy aviation. We've been here for quite a while. But yeah, it's super exciting to see the younger people come in with that passion, too. And it's very much so. And I want to keep it. I don't, that's why I tell them, don't just go to, unfortunately, today, when a student comes into Amber Riddle, the, all of the regional airlines are standing there and they say, look, you sign up to come to our airline, we'll give you free passes while you're going through school and when you get your 1500 hours, 1200 hours or whatever that, and then you come work for us and then you'll go to Delta or American or United. And so that's the pathway that they're saying. They don't see anything else. Mm-hmm. Part of what we're trying to do is expand their, their, their parameters to say, well, wait a minute, there's a lot more out there than just, you know, jerking gear on a 737 for an airline. Yeah. We all, if we've been around this industry long enough, you know, it's not going Right. It doesn't. Nope. It doesn't want aviation is nothing but uh, constant change <laughs> and then bad. So, and probably I'm bouncing around a little bit, but I did want to come back to one of the things that, we, that you were talking about and something I remember from a small operator that also pertains to schedulers and dispatchers, and that's the benchmarking. Benchmarking, at one point, you guys had talked about maybe forming on your airport where perhaps a group of flight departments that could go into each other's flight departments and kind of say, hey, here's what I see. Like, if you don't have the money to spend on a formal audit, there's companies that'll do the formal audit, but maybe you don't have the money to do that. So you trade them information on your flight, on your uh, field, on your airport between the different operators there. And I think that's really cool. And it also works, like I said, for schedulers and dispatchers. I remember being in Atlanta and we used to try and get everybody together for lunch once in a while. But I don't see why we couldn't do that as well and just go to different operations and say, hey, maybe these are the software programs that we're looking at. And maybe this is how we do requests. Maybe this is how we do on-call evenings and weekends. And I think that benchmarking, not only for small operators, but for schedulers and dispatchers is invaluable. Right. And so what we you for six years now and, and a couple of years on DOC management and uh, chairman, we've always said we create these resources, but we did feel like we're preaching to the choir, right? People that come to the symposiums, people that come to the safety stand downs, these 
they're people that are interested in safety or they're interested in, and, and so they're, they're invested in doing it. How do we reach those at art? And this last year and kind of hit, hit us that we need to empower, we need to leverage the regional groups because I do a safety, uh, a president safety roundtable every six months here at Central Florida. So we bring flight departments together to talk about safety. So I, within that group, there are there are flight departments that never attend base, never attend or uh, the, the Canada Air Safety Standout. They don't, they, they, they don't do that. But then here's an opportunity that we can sit around a table because we're meeting locally. They don't have to travel somewhere and talk about safety and bring up these topics. Like bring up a frag, bring up benchmarking, bring up, how are you guys handling? Uh, there's only two of you. How do you handle it when the safety issue comes? Have meaningful conversations at the local level, reaching the operators that, that aren't coming to the larger events. And so that's been our focus. We did a video or a PowerPoint on professionalism that okay. Eric put together. And we shared that with the regional groups to say, here's some, here's a resource to go talk to your, your flight departments about what's it mean to be a professional? Because we, we, what we said was a lot of this boils down to pilots, just not acting professional. And so just because you, you get a paycheck doesn't mean you're a professional. Same with dispatchers, you know, just because somebody's paying you to be a dispatcher doesn't mean you're a professional. That's right. a higher level. And so what does that mean to be a professional? So I think to get back to your benchmark report, this is the first year where we really had our eyes open and we've had conversations with the regional group boards and, and, and the different regional groups to say, look, we want to create resources that you can use to touch the local operators, to have these conversations, to begin this process, because you're the ones on the ground. We're not, you know, all we can do is send an invitation and say, Hey, come to Vegas in October and we're all going to gather and talk. And how many, you know, two person flight departments can go. Well, yeah, the boss is flying. I can't, I can't come. Yeah, it does. They don't, maybe they don't have the money to pull a contractor in. Maybe they just aren't even given the budget to go to a contract like that. Exactly. But, Mm -hmm. but the way they come to lunch or a three hour meeting at the Orlando Air Executive Airport and we could have that conversation and then they, okay, this is a, we want to, how do we benchmark? How do we do these things? And they go, oh yeah, that's a great idea. Let's, let's. So that's kind of the path we're taking. Okay. Um, and, and I look to roll more of that out over the next couple of years as we, and I've, I put that challenge to all the NBA committees, international ops and to say, look, you're creating great resources up here, but we need to, you need to create resources that you can push down to the regional groups so that they can push it down into their memberships because that's yep. where the majority of the, the operators are. Yes. So. I love it. Not. It's very true. We do. We the Northern California has one, Southern California has one, and then we have people across the U.S. And I think we've got St. Louis is a really big one. Um, but you're right that they're, they're local and there are chance. the regional groups in existence throughout the country. Seventy? Did you say seventy? Wow. Okay. Right. Some encompass all states. Some are like us where we're just a regional, you know, very localized. So they, there's, there's a lot going on, which is great. So it's just a matter of giving them resources and encouraging them to have these conversations. And mm-hmm. that's our focus over the next 12 months. So, yeah. 
That's awesome. Well, great. Well, yeah. Anybody who's listening, check out, find your regional group, find the one that's close by to you. Look for those resources. Look for the resources and the learning management system that the uh, DOC is putting together. And we'll, again, we'll put that in the, the link below. Yeah, this has been a really great conversation, Dave. It's so good to talk to you again. It's been a couple of years. so. Well, I'm glad that the you're well, and uh, you're welcome back anytime. We've, we've really grown Thank the community. And, and, uh, exciting, a lot of exciting people on. Well, I'd love to. I mean, yeah, I really, I, I really seriously do love that small operator section of, of aviation. So, and I think a challenge to the uh, schedulers and dispatchers group mm-hmm. is I think you guys need to figure out how to message the, the, the availability and I think I would say importance, but the, the benefit of having an operation like yours for a small operator because too many things we don't, we don't, we're not involved in. We think, oh, that's just for a large operator. Mm-hmm. It doesn't cross our mind that we could benefit from having somebody like LD Aviation. So I think my challenge to you guys as a group is to figure out how do we, how do we message this for small operators? That, that this is a, this can be a resource that they can take advantage of. Definitely. And, and not only us, but like the Polaris or the other, the other companies that can help you do your job. I mean, ultimately we need to make sure that your, the pilot who's flying the airplane can do that safely. So right. that's their main job. If you can, what's the word, you know, section off or give away some of those collateral type duties that can help you make your piloting job safer. I'm all for it. So not only scheduling could be farmed out, I guess you couldn't, but you could get a partner to help you with that. But I'm sure there's other duties that small flight departments do that they wouldn't have to spend a lot of money, but it would probably take a huge load off oh. their plate. Good Lord, ask any small flight department how much time they spend on rental cars. <laughs> oh my God. Yes, rental cars. Yes, I agree. That's one of the hardest things. I mean, you, y'all can do the best trip, have the perfect trip, you get there and that card's not there, and now your principal is, <laughs> the whole thing has gone bad. Exactly. Yep. Down the drain. That's exactly right. And the catering's not there. We had that happen. Yep. We ordered catering and, yep, nope. uh, oh, well, it didn't show up. Yeah, it's very frustrating. I know we've been hours tracking down cars and, and catering as well. So, yeah. Yes. No, but it's a, such a huge, like you said, when that enters into the cockpit because those are important things. What does that do? Take away from operating the airplane safe? Where does the focus of the flight crew go? When oh crap! I get, hey, you got the airplane while I call the FBO and make sure the rental car is there. Or, you know, the, now you're taking a pilot out of the cockpit. You're taking away from their duties. Their brain is not on the operate the airplane. It's on all these other things. So right. I, it's an important safety thing. And I think once again, I think. Your group needs to figure out how to package that. And I think there's a benefit that you could, you could definitely show small operators. For a firm, like you said, a nominal fee. Look, here, here's some things that can be removed from your plate so you can do your job better. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Well, I'm definitely going to work on that for sure. <laughs> Cause, but likewise, it'd be great for us. It'd also be great for those small operators. So, well, yeah. Dave, it's been wonderful talking to you. If somebody wanted to reach out to you or maybe ask you about the committees or ask you about the Central Florida Business Aviation Association, maybe the event, where would they find you? 
So LinkedIn is probably the best messaging tool. Just find me on LinkedIn. I'm also on Facebook, although I only post mostly jokes, not, you know, <laughs> much. And uh, MBA, uh, if you're a member of MBA, you can find me through their membership directory or committee membership. You can find us there. If you're interested in serving, we're always looking for people to help serve on uh, one of the, either domestic ops, small flight department. If you're a small flight department manager and want to get plugged in, you know, and I think you learned this, Lindsay, when you plug in to what we're doing, you get more back than what you give. The hands down. Yes. Information that I derive from some of these conference calls that I'm on with every day. It's just, I cannot get the information anywhere else. There are so many yes. smart people and doing so many things in our industry and the value has just been overwhelming. So I encourage you, if you're a dispatcher, get, get plugged into the LCD. If you're a, a small operator or 135 or, or a 125, join our committee and just, you know, get back to the, get back to the community. But your knowledge is going to how we, how we deal with regulations, how we interact with the FAA, how, how we affect regulations. I mean, we do a lot of that. And so it's a, and a regional group. The regional group is a great place because you're going to connect with your fellow operators that are local and that. You know, it's funny, you, 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 you fly out of a hangar and, uh, uh, you don't even know the guy that's flying the airplane next to you. Yeah. You go to happy hour at the regional groups, you go, oh, you're flying that airplane. Oh yeah. And then you meet somebody and now you build a relationship and, and this industry is all about relationships. It sure is. You never know when you might need some information, need some help with something. And, and that person that you met could be last week, last year, it's that perfect person. So get involved. I agree. Definitely. Well, Dave, thank you so much for your time today. And yeah, I hope to see you around again soon. Sure, sure. Thanks, Lindsay. You take care. Enjoy your vacation. Thank you very much. Thank you for listening. Please stay tuned for more episodes. And check out our website for up-and-coming podcasts. This has been a production of the Business Aviation Collective, sponsored by LD Aviation.